life. It's more full of surprises than anything you could make up. Scary stories, funny stories, sad stories, we've got them all and they're all true. Everyone has at least one great story. What's yours? All right, who ordered takeaway? Got your true story coming right up. I'd like a funny story with a dash of bellyache, please. Um, could I get something with aliens, guns, and travel, please? A one thriller with an overlay of a relationship going wrong. One takeaway order of suspense, please. You're gonna love all this stuff here. It's all really awesome. This is Tall Tales Takeaway, the podcast of bite-sized stories for curious minds on the go. Hi, and welcome to today's show. This is Tall Tales Takeaway, the podcast of true stories presented by Tall Tales, India's longest-running live storytelling event series. I'm Michael Burns. Today's menu features yakitori, sashimi, and mochi balls. In the land of the rising sun, you'll find plenty of places to enjoy those delicacies, from Hanshu all the way to Hokkaido and everywhere in between. But you might run into a problem when you're finished. You may not find a place to throw your garbage. Or so says one of our favorite storytellers here at Tall Tales, the uber-talented Mukul Chada. Hi, my name is Mukul Chada, and I'm about to tell you a story about an incident that took place when I was visiting Japan almost 15 years ago. The story is titled, There Are No Trash Cans in Tokyo. I kid you not. This is true. There are none. Friends of mine who didn't believe me have subsequently visited Tokyo and confirmed this. What is strange is that Tokyo is one of the cleanest cities in the world. Well, one of the reasons could be that Tokyo residents don't carry trash around in public, so they don't need trash cans. There's some merit to this argument. In a survey that I heard about later, when asked about their most embarrassing moments in their lives, the Japanese rated being seen eating in public as high as second. This is the most embarrassing moments of their lives. So while Japan has seen the invasion of the American culture of fast food restaurants and vending machines, unlike in the US, you don't see the Japanese walking around eating burgers or cup of noodles or a bento box in the street. Because Tokyo residents, if they've bought something at a vending machine, they eat it right there, quietly, trash it and then leave. Now I didn't know this then. And I only noticed the absence of trash cans on my fifth day in Tokyo. There were three of us on this trip. We were representing a New York-based bank on a trip to Japan. There was Doug Johnston, our leader, 40 years old, very serious, bespectacled. There was Kevin Duffy, who was about my age, mid-twenties at the time. Unlike me, he was a tall, strapping ex-Marine. And then there was me, who'd barely been in the US for three years and had just about got accustomed to the culture there. And here I was, representing an American bank in Japan. It was a tough trip. I don't know how many of you have been to Japan or seen the movie Lost in Translation. But those moments where he's lying in bed, staring at the ceiling all night because of jet lag, that happened to us every night. And it's not like the days were easy. Through the day, we were taken for one head-nodding meeting after another, through those very respectable glass offices in Akasaka. And then there was the hospitality. They took us out for an exotic meal every night. And sometimes that's hard. 
And after that, we were taken out clubbing. Every night. Through Ropongi's neon alleys and nasty bars with semi-clad waitresses and very, very shrill music. It was all very exhausting. Doug even asked the head of the local office, Do we have to do all this? Is it so rude to say no to some of the hospitality? And the answer was, yes. Nobody says no in Japan. And so here we were on day five, struggling through jet lag, hospitality and an adherence to Japanese protocol. On the night of day four, Kevin and I got particularly drunk. So I didn't spend that night staring at the ceiling. I spent it looking down a toilet bowl. And so on that Friday morning, Kevin and I walked into the office late, literally clutching our heads in pain. And there was Kawauchi. He was our bank's local employee, who was taking us around everywhere for all our meetings and even every night. He was out with us late the previous night, but here he was, his suit neatly pressed, his thick hair perfectly gelled, his black-rimmed glasses askew by the same angle it was every day. He was clutching a wad of papers in his right hand, and he wasn't looking happy. But all he said, in his very polite Japanese way, was, very late, very late. And he led us out immediately to our first meeting of the day. The first meeting lasted about 40 minutes, though it felt like a few hours for me. I didn't say a word. Even Kevin was quiet through it all. Doug was nice enough to conduct the entire meeting by himself. I looked at Kevin and he was in pretty bad shape too. And this was an ex-Marine. Imagine my plight. Having rushed out early that morning, I hadn't had breakfast. And so my body was craving food and water. And despite the air conditioning, I was feeling the August heat even more that day. I took off my jacket in the middle of the meeting, but it didn't help. When the meeting ended, I rushed out of the room looking for a water fountain or a candy bar vending machine to get something into my system. But Kawauchi dragged us off to a taxi to get to the next meeting. He took his customary seat in front of the taxi and he always turned around to give us feedback. So this time he turned to Doug and said, Johnston-san, good job. And then he turned to me. I thought he was going to make fun of the fact that I was looking like hell. But instead, he said, Chadasan, no taking off jacket inside business meeting. Against Japanese culture. I tried to say something, but then he also added, Also, we leave room in order of seniority. First Johnson-san, then Duffy-san, then you, then me. What you did, not good. Great. I was already pulling the team down. Me, the little Indian in the group, was pulling an entire American team down. We had a break after our second meeting, so we headed back to our offices, which was a big relief, because on the ground floor of the building where our offices were, there were a row of takeout restaurants. And Kevin and I really needed to eat. So we told the others, we're going to stay here, pick us up when you're heading to the next meeting. Suddenly, from starving for food, we had a choice of nine or ten different eating places, which was overwhelming. And in that moment, native instincts take over. So Kevin rushed to a McDonald's. I obviously couldn't find Indian food, but I saw a Japanese teriyaki joint that had chicken curry rice. There was a very long line there, but I knew this was exactly what I needed. 
It took about 20 minutes before I had this lovely styrofoam container which had hot steaming rice and red chicken curry. I was very excited. I sat down on a nearby bench with Kevin who had already chomped down 3 Big Macs by then. I had barely had 2 bites of my food when from the corner of my eye I saw Doug and Kawauchi who had a wad of papers in his hand and he was marching towards us. Meeting time, meeting time. Now I wasn't about to give up on this food at this point. So I put the plastic fork back into the styrofoam container, shut it and rose with purpose to take it along with me. Kawauchi suddenly stopped dead in his tracks. He was horrified. You taking food to business meeting? I said, "Nah, I'll just eat it in the taxi." Eat in taxi? Even the taxi driver was horrified when he saw me bring a styrofoam container of food into his cab. Through the cab ride, he and Kawauchi kept staring at me while I was greedily eating my food. At the time I couldn't understand why Kawauchi was fussing. I told him don't worry I'll trash it outside their offices before we go in. Yeah. We reached our destination. It was this huge intersection, the Otemachi intersection with very broad streets on four sides. I got out and looked around for a trash can. There was no trash can. I looked up and down the street for garbage bins outside any shop or restaurant. None. Tokyo is so spotless that any object on the sidewalk, be it a post box or a parking meter or a potted plant, can easily be recognized from a distance. So when I didn't see a trash can, there was no doubt that I might have missed seeing one. There were none. And Kawauchi knew this well. He was standing there, his head cocked to one side, his eyes locked in on the object in my hand. I said, "Forget it. We're going inside this big bank building. There's obviously going to be a trash can in the lobby." So I just walked past Kawauchi and into the building. Now, Japanese commercial banks, in keeping with their size, have colossal office buildings. Lobbies are vast open spaces with either completely black or completely white walls and a tiny reception counter in one corner of the area. Nothing covers the sea of polished flooring between the front doors and the reception desk except maybe for an oversized potted plant or two. No chairs, no benches, no seating area, no shops, and yes, no trash cans. I walked the entire stretch from the entrance to the reception in silence, tightly gripping the empty white styrofoam box which now had slightly reddish stains on the outside. At the reception, Kawachi spoke in Japanese to two petite women in flowing yellow outfits. At some point he suddenly leaned forward, dropped his tone and said something to them while occasionally glancing at the object in my hand. The receptionist found this very funny. One of them started giggling. "Gomibako? Ie?" which I understood to mean she didn't have a trash can. Embarrassed, Kawachi took four visitor badges from them, thrusting mine towards me with added hostility. On the 26th floor where our meeting was to be held, he tried his luck again with the local receptionist. This time it worked. The receptionist, also petite, but dressed in a flowing blue outfit, stood up somberly, didn't make eye contact with me, but walked out from behind her desk, carefully took my litter and then returned to her chair and continued talking to Kawachi as if this interaction with me never happened. I never saw a trash can under her desk so I don't know if she had one or she had sacrificed her honor for our sake. 
I was very careful around Kawachi after that. I walked into meeting rooms after the others. I sat in the seat he indicated was mine by protocol, and I only spoke after he pointed at me. Despite a continuing throb inside my head, I always smiled faintly in response to any of his cheery comments. At about three in the afternoon, we were back in the office for a short break, and I, with my head still not clear, went to the water cooler and was drinking several glasses of cold water from one of those tiny styrofoam cups that were placed there. I turned and I saw Kevin, who had now suddenly transformed. He had this serene look on his face and a slight smile. I felt betrayed. I mean, I was struggling and how was he looking so fine? And Kevin looked at me and said, Ice cream. There's a vending machine at the other end of the floor. One cup of vanilla will clear your head instantly. I rushed through the elevator bank to get to the ice cream vending machine at the other end of the floor. I put my styrofoam drinking cup down and fished out just about enough change from my pocket. I popped it into the machine and out came that familiar red and white color of a Hagendas vanilla ice cream cup. It was icy cold. Tiny water droplets clung all around the surface and I held it against my face for a moment. This was the final solution to my suffering. I undid the lid of the cup and looked at the creamy white layer of vanilla. But there was no spoon inside. I looked around the vending machine for spoons. None. But there would be spoons near our seats. So I recapped the cup, picked up my styrofoam drinking cup and I retraced my steps. Just as I entered the elevator bank, Kawauchi entered with a wad of papers in his hand. He said, Chada-san, we are looking for you. Meeting time. And just then, Doug and Kevin came in through the double doors on the other side and in timely fashion, an elevator opened up in front of us. Before I knew it, I was in an elevator with my colleagues, racing down to the ground floor. I had in one hand a styrofoam cup half full of water and in the other a full ice cream cup that was missing a spoon. There was no way to eat the ice cream, so I had to find a way to dispose it or watch it slowly melt in my hands. Kabuchi hadn't seen the tiny cup yet, so to avoid a confrontation, I gulped down the water and hid the ice cream cup inside the styrofoam drinking cup. Down in the lobby, I scanned the floor left and right around me as we walked out, searching for any mode of garbage disposal. Kabuchi was marching ahead, I was trailing behind, looking everywhere for any place where I could leave this cup. I even thought of leaving the cup on the rim of a huge granite pot that housed a gigantic plant. Just place it there and walk out. But the whole area was so squeaky clean that someone would surely have seen me. We had stepped out of the building now. I well behind the others. A taxi had been hailed. And this time, I rushed forward to grab the front seat. So no one could see what was inside my styrofoam drinking cup. I sat down in the cab. I examined the ice cream to see if it was melting. It wasn't. But it wasn't as hard as it was earlier, meaning the trouble wasn't far away. I didn't know what to do. My legs nervously stretched out in front and then swung back under the seat. And then a thought occurred to me, one that I have never been proud of since. What if I left the drinking cup with the ice cream tucked inside it under the front seat? Technically, even if the ice cream melted, it would melt into the styrofoam drinking cup so it wouldn't dirty the cab, unless it fell. I looked around the cab. It was spotless. The cabbie obviously took pride in keeping it clean and littering it in such a manner would be terrible. 
I looked at him, but he was focused on maneuvering past a bus to catch a light ahead. So I just leaned forward and placed the cup there. To my credit, I stayed there for a moment considering reversing what I had just done. But just then we pulled up in front of our destination and one glance at the street on my left, no trash cans, told me that the cup would have to stay under the seat. I got out onto the sidewalk and watched Kawuchi pay the cab in an exchange that seemed to be taking a long time. Kevin was talking to me about the difference between McDonald's beef in various parts of the world, but I was fixated on Kawauchi's discussion with the cabbie. Finally, Kawauchi turned and approached us. Then he smiled and said, "Let's go," and rushed into the building. Relieved, I followed him. Suddenly, the cabbie came running towards me with a little white cup in his hand and said, "Yours?" Fortunately, out of earshot of Kawauchi. Now to deny the cup and make a ruckus would have made things much worse. So I quietly and bravely took my cup back and walked towards the building. Kevin had seen this and even he looked at me disapprovingly. Now I was quite ashamed of what I had done. This was Japan, the land of honor. And I decided that whatever happens, I am going to be principled from this point on. Kawauchi must not be embarrassed by seeing more trash on me. And so in true harakiri style I pulled the cup out of my right hand and slipped it into my left pant pocket Even if the ice cream melted it would melt inside the styrofoam cup and even if some stains did appear on my trousers if I placed the cup high enough in my pocket and I pulled my jacket down I could cover the stains or so I figured In the elevator on the way up I clasped my hands together in their newfound freedom Kawuchi smiled at me I beamed back. While we waited at the reception on the 17th floor of our next meeting, the cup in my pocket seemed to have shifted position. I excused myself and headed to the restroom to readjust the cup. There was another person in the men's room, a respectable elderly gent, who was standing at the counter, looking into the mirror and combing his thin silver hair. I didn't want to reveal the embarrassment of food on my person, so I decided to wait until he left. I stood beside him at the counter. I started washing my hands, looking at my hair in the mirror. But the old man took his time, carefully combing each strand. Suddenly, he caught my eye in the mirror, and almost apologetically, he turned to me and bent down into a deep bow. Now, I didn't know how this would affect the cup, but I had no choice, so I clutched my pocket tightly and I followed him. into a deep bow and that's when i saw it right next to me below the counter but partially obscured by a column was a tiny steel bin i only saw it for that brief moment when my eyeline dipped below the counter before bouncing back but it was unmistakable when i was back up i quietly pulled the cup from out of my pocket looked the old man square in the eye and bent down again And as soon as I dipped below the counter, I tossed the cup into the bin and stood back up. The gentleman, probably very touched by my respect for Japanese culture, initiated a third bow, which I very happily reciprocated. At the time, I had nothing but the greatest appreciation for Japanese traditions. Arigato. Thank you. 
Hey, it's Michael. We've got a small break coming up, after which we'll have a Q&A with the storyteller, so stick around. We hope you like Tall Tales Takeaway, India's first storytelling podcast. Chances are you'll want to check out the LSD cast, India's first podcast about love, sex, and dating. We think you'll like it. It's a very candid chat show hosted by Prem and Rogue. Look for a love, sex, dating cast on your favorite podcast app. Hey, Mukul, thank you so much for that. Well, I had fun, Mike. I hope you liked it. <laughs> you know, that's one of my favorite stories. In fact, uh, of all the stories we've ever had at Tall Tales, I don't think any has ever made an impression on people more than this story. Literally every show, you know, at our, at our Tall Tales shows, we have new stories every time. Um, every show, I get someone coming up to me and said and saying, I, I thought I was going to hear Mukul Chara tell no trash well, cans in Tokyo tonight. Well, thank you. That's very sweet of you to say, Michael, <laughs> because I've, I've heard, seen a lot of your shows and I've liked a lot of stories that have come out of there. Um, so to hear that is, is very flattering. <laughs> I thought of you recently because I was in Japan looking for a trash can. And you know what? Just to confirm it, you're absolutely right. There are no trash cans in Japan. Forget about just Tokyo. Well, I don't know what the rest of Japan. I'm sure it must be true. But my sister, the same thing happened. She, um, she heard the story at your show and she didn't believe me for some reason. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean... It's not like I have a lying problem, but she just couldn't believe that it could be possibly true. And she was going to Japan the next month <laughs> with little kids and uh, they kept eating ice cream. And everything that happened in the story was like deja vu for her because it <laughs> kept happening over and over again. And she came back and said, yes, you were right. I'm sorry for doubting you. <laughs> what I love, I think what I love most about the fact that this is true is that when I was asking people in my rudimentary Japanese or where a trash can was, it wasn't that they were kind of helping me to look for one. It was just a sense of general confusion about the question. Why would you want one? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I like most about it. So, Mukul, you're not in banking anymore, am I correct? That is correct, yes. Okay, so what do you do now? I'm an actor. Um, so, yeah, I, I get my hands... I, I act in anything I can get my hands on, which is theater, uh, improv, um few roles in films or television commercials, oddly enough, is where I get most of my work. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. Um, do you have any more stories on the horizon? I do, Michael, and I'm scared to mention <laughs> it because I've said this to you before. I do have uh, a couple of stories in my head. Um, one of which is another very short one, anecdotal, uh, which hopefully might be funny. Uh, and there's a fourth, which... Um, which is perhaps, hopefully, my first serious story. Ooh, great. Let's see, let's see, yes. It's, oh, it's uh, tantalizing. It's about um, something I did, something very bad I did back in school. Okay, wow, I like that. Yeah. I like it already. Well, I just want to thank you for, for joining us today. And uh, well, Thank you, Michael. It's always a pleasure. It's awesome. I just want to say, great to see you. Thank you, Mike. Thanks so much. Bye. And that's the end of today's show. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a single episode. And if you do like what you heard, take a minute to rate us and share feedback and reactions on iTunes or whatever app that you listened on. We're on Facebook and Twitter, of course, too, if you'd like to get in touch. Thanks. See you next time. Hey, do you have any romance or kitten stories? Hi, I'd like two medium adventure stories uh, and hold the cheese. Give me some non-fiction. Anything. Just, just get me some non-fiction. Wow, that tall thing looks so funny. I want to, please. I'll take comedy. Yeah, something funny. 
Romance for Prem, Fame and Fortune for Kirti, and a Coming of Age for Sunanda. Your takeaway orders are ready at counter number two. That was so fulfilling. Produced by Sonolog.